I normally don't do these back-to-back, back-to-back days, uh, because I like to ruminate um, and ponder things. And I have been pondering other topics, but there's a question that popped into my mind today that just needs to be asked. And it is the question, how much hype could a hype huckster hype if a hype huckster could hype hype? Um, that's the question that popped into my mind about five minutes ago when a friend of mine uh, sent me a link to what he calls the uh, Ricky Ricardo pastor. Um, and it's this guy named uh, Sammy Rodriguez, Pastor Sam. And so I went, uh, just checked out his Instagram feed for a, a few minutes. And it's, that's the question that popped into my mind. How much hype can a hype huckster hype if a hype huckster could hype hype? Like, when is the church in America going to reach its max capacity for a bloviated hype? Substanceless pontificating. Uh, sweating, profusely yelling promises about... Uh, good living and destiny. Uh, I, I don't think I can take much more of this. And something tells me that many people, many Christians in America are growing tired of this as well. And you go, well, why, why would you say that? It, they're so popular and they're packing out stadiums. Well, I listened to a couple of uh, Pastor Sammy's clips. And while he is screaming at decibel levels rivaling probably Golden State Warriors playoff stadium. Um, when he stops making noise, there's nobody in the background making any noise. They're not clapping. They're not cheering. They just seemed to be shell-shocked at why is this angry man sweating and spitting and screaming at me about my destiny. Um, yeah, so... I, the, the fill of the fill of this destiny pitching um and and I, I specifically say huckster and I, the question that I asked how much hype could a hype huckster hype <laughs> if we go look at the definition of huckster is to promote or sell something typically a product of questionable value and on the surface, it's just, it's easily assumed that, well, why wouldn't God want me to fulfill my destiny? Why wouldn't God want me to have a comfortable life? Why wouldn't God want me to have my dreams fulfilled? And it gets at the root, I think, of the problem of the evangelical industrials complex what their message is, and it's their cookie-cutter, almost Borg-like approach, getting back into Star Trek land, um, this forced assimilation into jamming everybody into this cookie-cutter approach to Christian living. And the more that these Instagram pastors are allowed to run amok with their spitting and sweating and screaming the more they're just copying each other and they're, the more they are parroting the message 
around this vague claim of destiny. And attached to that claim of destiny is financial freedom, lack of financial stress, purpose in life, fulfillment, some grand plan. Um, and you go, well, that sounds so nice. It creates butterflies in my stomach and it gives me warm fuzzies. And it's, it's the, that's right. Why, why wouldn't that be the case? I mean, after all, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you um, and to give you a hope. I, th I think the problem with it is that it's not consistent with the rest of the Bible. <laughs> it's easy for a pastorpreneur to pick out a verse here and there and twist it and mutilate it and morph it into supporting this supposed destiny thing where every where God wants all of us to be the next Steve Jobs or God wants all of us to be the next YouTube founder or the next innovator of some movement um, but it, it really runs into it really runs into some issues when it comes to the rest of scripture and you say well what are you talking about I mean some obvious examples that come off the top of my head we love to uphold David and say, oh, God's destiny for David. And then we just lazily blanket that, overlay that onto our lives and say, look, God made David great. He wants to make you great. Well, what about all of David's brothers? They got passed over. What? There were seven, was it six, seven brothers they got passed over. They got overlooked. What about them? What about Cain and Abel? Here, Abel is a faithful, humble servant of God offering his sacrifice. Does he, does he arise and ascend to some level of honor? No, he dies at the hands of his brother Cain in a dirt field somewhere. Um, we've talked about this before with Bathsheba's hus uh, husband. Here he is, a valiant soldier out on the front line serving his God and country faithfully and valiantly. And he's abandoned at the front lines by those he's closest to, who he's been fighting with presumably for months and maybe even years. And the last thought going through his head while the, the enemy is thrusting arrows and swords into his flesh is, what gives, homies? Yo, fam, where'd you go? Why did you abandon me? That's gotta be a lonely, uh, a lonely discouraging thought. Um, you have Peter and Paul and the several other of the of Christ's disciples meeting very harsh ends. Peter didn't end up having financial independence. He didn't end up having his dreams fulfilled. He lived a rough life and he met a cruel death. Paul the Apostle didn't ascend to be on the board of directors of the Roman council of blah, blah, blah. And he wasn't snapping selfies with the emperor and he wasn't jet setting around at all these conferences with the elites of the Roman society. No, he met a harsh beheading 
in a Roman jail cell somewhere at the hands of some grisly executioner. So the problem, although you could you can cut and paste a handful of scriptures out of the Bible and say, oh yeah, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope. And to use that as the pole vault to kind of launch yourself into this destiny-driven, prosperity-laden nonsense. When you examine it with the rest of the scripture and how many of the saints of God, not only in scripture, but throughout the history of mankind, have lived their lives and the ends that they have met, there's a huge disparity. There's a huge incongruity. I think I butchered that word. Uh, They don't match up. And so when I ask how much hype could a hype huckster hype if a hype huckster could hype hype, the answer, according to Instagram pastorpreneur profiles, seems to be infinite. They just continue to hype and hype and hype around this destiny message. And it's really damaging to... Well, I don't, I, it's, I, it creates false hopes, number one. And, and there's, you know, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I w- can only conclude from that that these pastorpreneurs are contributing to the heart sickness of millions upon millions of Christians. Because they are selling, they are hyping a questionable, a product of questionable value under the guise of this is God's plan for your life. Um, you know, let's just put it in more modern terms. You know, we talked about Peter's death, Paul's death. We could talk about the, the martyrs uh, burned at the stake for their faith. We could talk about martyrs currently um, in, in China and, and parts of Africa, in North Korea, um, in some, uh, Islamic countries where they are, Christians are persecuted for their faith. But we could, we could talk about some very modern examples in America of, you know, going back to 9-11, what about the 2,900 and some people who died in the terrorist attacks of September 11th of 2001? How does that destiny message line up with them? How does that destiny message sell to those families? And the blunt truth is that it doesn't. How does that destiny message sell to those that were killed in the Las Vegas Mandalay Bay shooting? How does that message sell to their families? I don't know if you did this, but I did after that shooting, and I went and I read through the profiles of people. 21-year-old kid showed promise in this area. 28-year-old PR executive, brilliant, tons of friends, promising. Uh, 45-year-old people, mothers, fathers, everything in between. Dead. How does that message, how does that hype huckstering sell to those people and to their families? And the blunt answer is that it doesn't. So, 
I've said this before, it, it would behoove, I love the word behoove, it would behoove your soul to, to, to turn off the hype hucksters, to silence them, put them on mute. Um, just put them on mute and stop trying to buoy your soul on such shaky, questionable promises of God manifesting your particular destiny and dreams to you. And you go, man, that's a depressed view of Christianity. Not if you, not if you extend the timeline. And I think that's where these pastorpreneurs and these hype hucksters, where they fall woefully short. You know, they, they view, their, their view of everything fits into perhaps a 60-second Instagram video. And they're not looking beyond the end of that. Meaning, they're not looking beyond the end of this world. They're not looking beyond the end of this life. So, of course... If, if your view is only under the sun, if your view is only limited to earthly things, to this life, then of course you're, you're going to pitch the hope of financial independence and relational happiness and a fulfilled purpose and being a world changer. You're going to equate that as being salvation because when you draw your last breath here, it's lights out, game over take off your cleats, clean out your locker, and go home. And that's the fatal mistake that all of these hype hucksters make. They, they limit their timeline. Their timeline is too short. And so, of course, if you run up against the blunt realities of life and death and accidents and murders and terrorist attacks and plane crashes and hurricanes and tornadoes and traffic accidents, and all kinds of things that make life unpredictable and difficult, of course it's going to look like a depressed view of Christianity. But if you extend the timeline past your final breath and into eternity, then it is no longer a depressed view. It's a relieving view. It's a, my yoke is easy and my burden is light view. It is. It makes sense then why Moses didn't count the fleeting pleasures of sin. And he set his, he set his eyes ahead. And, and why Christ, same thing, he, he scorned the shame of the cross, looking to eternity, the eternal rewards, the eternal bliss. And I think that's probably some of the most self-evident reasoning for why so many of these pastorpreneurs are selling a product of questionable value is that their timeline excludes eternity on a continually frequent basis. And they try to take eternal promises, eternal realities of sin being removed, no more tears, no more pain, infinite peace, infinite joy and fellowship with the presence of God. The, the lion lying down with the lamb, all this imagery of, of ultimate reconciliation in heaven forever, they dumb that down and, and shorten it and compress it into a really, really bad Cliff Notes version. It's like a Cliff Notes of a Cliff Notes of a Cliff Notes version. And they try to smash onto it and staple onto it all of these temporal blessings 
to tickle people's ears and to get their attention and to cause them to give money because inevitably when you listen to these people, these hype hucksters, there is always inevitably at some point they will drop the sow a seed to get blessed. God blesses those who have faith in him. So give me money, show your faith to God by giving my ministry money and God will pay it back tenfold, fivefold, a hundredfold. So I'm assuming that no one listening to this is a hype huckster. You're probably uh, the customers of hype hucksters. <laughs> you represent the hype huckstering customer base. And what I'm telling you is mute them and uh, go find a go find a place that extends the timeline. Um, I think there's a reason also that these hype hucksters appeal to, like when you look and they actually pan back and you see people in their audience. I think there's a reason that primarily the audience is young. And it's because young people, for the most part, have not experienced the difficult, challenging trials of life. Um, and so I think they're more prone, they're more idealistic, they're more hopeful, they're more prone to buy into this message, which is, oh yeah, I want to be financially independent. I want to have all these things. I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. And so they're more prone to buy into this message. So um, if you're young and you're kind of doubting what I'm telling you and you're leaning towards continuing to buy the, the hype, I would simply say that the sooner you get off of the hype huckster roller coaster, the less pain you're going to have to deal with in the future because life will inevitably screw you. <laughs> life will inevitably disappoint you. And even if you have the most beautiful life you could ever imagine, like let's say that your idol is one of the Kardashians or some YouTube star, and all you see is ease and fame and popularity and comfort and beautiful hair and perfect skin and tons of makeup and private jets and Lambos and Maseratis and just everything your heart can imagine. Let's just say that it went perfect with no problems. Everyone around you is eventually going to die. You're going to see everyone that you know is going to die. And if you beat them to the punch, you're going to die. And you go, wow, you're so morbid and you're so morose. It's reality. I mean, I don't see how reality is morbid and morose. Um, so extend your timeline beyond the, the shallow temporal destiny landscape. And as, as the New Testament says in Colossians, set your eyes on things above, not on things below. Um, and, and I think that's probably the biggest thing that these hype hucksters are guilty of is, is imploring thousands and thousands and millions of Christians to set their eyes on things below. Shame on them. They're getting their reward here and now in the, in the form of popularity and money and ease of lifestyle, but dare I say that they should perhaps consider the millstone verse with Christ who said it's better for them to tie a millstone around their neck and take a swan dive 
into some deep body of water than it is for them to lead one of Christ's chosen astray. Um, so that's that's that. Uh, the other two things that I'll get into briefly, um, and th- th- this was actually going to be the content of the next podcast, but I was I was pondering a little bit more deeply. Um, but I'll throw it out here as a preview, a precursor to the next episode. Um, the thing that the the shortened timeline does, um, not only does it ignore the, ex- the the specific examples that we talked about of of David's brothers getting passed over and Bathsheba's husband getting whacked at the front lines and people dying in 9-11. The, the, the 300, maybe it was even 400 people that died when the pilot lost his mind and slammed the plane into the Alps a couple years ago. Those people all had hopes. Those people all had dreams. They all had plans. They all had... And how does that message sell to them? They died instantly when the plane blasted into a rocky mountainside at 500 miles an hour and disintegrated everything into specks of dust. How are you going to sell that, Pastor Sammy, to those people? It falls incredibly hollow. Um, So two things. So there's the specific examples. There's also the overarching theological truth. You can find this in Romans 9. Can the pot say to the potter, why have you made me thus? And I think this is one of my biggest problems with this cookie cutter assimilation. You will assimilate into the destiny landscape of Christendom. God has a destiny for you and by golly, you will embrace it. Um, the problem I have with that is that it's completely out of line with the broad, overarching, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, biblical truth of God's nature that he's the potter and we're the clay. And think about that. Can the pot say to the potter, why have you made me thus? I'm taking a drink of reverse osmosis purified water out of a nice little Ikea cup right now, and I'll sip it so you can hear. Ah, that glass sure as heck better not stand up off of my little side table and start screaming at me. Why did you just put your lips on me? How dare you treat me like a glass? I'd say, shut up, you're a glass. You were made to be a glass and serve the purpose of being a glass. You don't have a destiny beyond a glass. (laughs) And you say, wow, you are so jaded. But this is a truth in the scripture. Can the pot say to the potter, why have you made me thus? Um, You see this with Pharaoh in with the, the... Egypt with Moses and Pharaoh. Um, it says specifically in Romans that it says he, God questions Pharaoh and says, do you not know that I raised you up for this to pour out my wrath on you? It says that he makes some vessels for honor, some for dishonor. Um, and, and I think that, I mean, it's pretty obvious when we've talked about this with the mini messiahs and the God complexes of American evangelical industrial complexes leaders, you know, it comes as no surprise that they are raising themselves up to rival God. Their their egos are such that they're raising themselves up to rival God, to be God's spokesperson, and in some instances, even to almost insert themselves as a mediator between the poor masses and God, God himself. So it comes as no surprise then that they would not be promoting a message which says, God is the creator. You are the creation 
And it is your obligation to humble yourself, bow your knee, bend your neck to what God's will is for your life. Instead, they seem to be promoting this message of revolution, rebellion, take up your pitchforks and axes and go embrace your destiny. Well, if a bunch of Ikea glasses did that, other than just finding it incredibly absurd, we'd probably like break them into a bunch of small pieces with a sledgehammer and incinerate them back into sand. We'd go, whoa, those, uh, that particular batch of Ikea glasses went a little haywire. Uh, let's stave off the glass global rebellion and crush these. <laughs> so, and you say, wow, but that's so, that's so not kind. That's so, uh, how can you say that? That's so mean. I mean, Psalm 115.3 uh, says, or is it 113.5? I'm pretty sure it's 115.3. God sits in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Um, I don't know the exact references, but you have other scriptures that say that God does not take counsel from man. It says, who is man that you are mindful of him? Um, read Job 38 through through 40 where God is questioning Job with, do, do you call, do you send the lightning bolts forth? Do they come to you and then you disperse them? Read through those verses. There's this paradigm of God being God and mankind being subject to that authority. And it's one of the surest signs that these pastorpreneurs have lost their way and have become absolutely unhinged from the humility of Christ when they refuse to preach that authority and our required subjection to it. That's just the good old-fashioned bottom line, as they would say. Um, so instead of, instead of flittering around trying to constantly reboot your life with some new destiny plan, be still, know that I am God, the scripture says, Maybe turn off the hype, mute it, be still, know that he's God, and say, Lord, wow, I've never considered this. I've never pondered this. You are the supreme authority. You are the creator. You're the maker. I'm the thing made. Let me, give me grace to humble myself under that truth. And then would you show me what you've made me for? Am I, am, an, am I an Ikea cup? Am I a toilet? Am I a steering wheel? I mean, obviously, you know, you're not going to be those things, but what lot in life have you put me in and how can I joyfully serve you and enjoy you and serve my fellow man um, in that particular vein? And, you know, that's the problem here is that, you know, you never hear one of these braggadocious, uh, sweating, glistening, semi-chubby. Some of these pastorpreneurs are like chubby, like, and some of them are just like shredded, like on roids. I don't really understand um, what it is, but some of them, I guess, don't care that they're carrying around 15 pounds in their cheeks. Um, some of them don't care that they've got, uh, you know, a beer keg around their belly. Who knows? Um, some of them are very concerned that they have the chiseled cheekbones like Pastor Tulian and Craig Rochelle and Furtick. Um, but you never hear them say, you never even hear them broach the idea or the possibility 
that, wow, look at the tremendous benefit that trash men, people who work for the sanitation department, what a service they do to our society. You never hear them say that. You never, you never even hear them broach the subject of, wow, what about the orderlies that work in hospitals and they, they you know, take care of corpses after they die and they coordinate getting them out of the hospital bed and down to the morgue and on the autopsy table and then over to the funeral home. And I mean, this is unglamorous work. You never hear them talk about the people who drive the, the, the street sweeping trucks or the subway station cars or the buses or the school buses or the lunch lady at the thousands of elementary schools around the country or the nurse practitioner, the single mom. You never hear them talk about any realm of work that is anything other than being famous, rich, wealthy, and influential. That should be red flag number one, that they're out to lunch, that they're full of themselves, that they're preaching a product of questionable value because it doesn't line up with nine-tenths or more of the life experiences of everybody else in the world. I mean, it's so self-evident. I, I can't believe that this hype huckstering continues to get hyped and bought. Um, second thing, and then I'll close with this and we'll talk more about these at length, but this Spurgeon sermon, another one that I've been reading, um, he's talking about the promise of, uh, Psalm, uh, 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I mentioned this in the last podcast. Um, he says that the ungodly man is not qualified to have the promise because he would desire something that would neither glorify God nor profit himself. But when a man's delight is in God, then his desires are of such a sort that God may be glorified in the granting of them, and the man himself profited by the receiving of them. And then he gets into this, this concept here of God's mysterious workings and providences in your life, specifically as it relates to denying you your destiny, denying you what your heart desires. And he wraps it up into the, these two things that we must learn. God teaches us to desire a right and spend a right. To use more modern language, God teaches us to desire correct things. And then he teaches us to spend correctly, desire correctly and spend correctly. And he says, and I believe it's true, that in our natural state, our default position is to abuse. And it's only after God reforms us and sanctifies us and chastises us and causes us to grow in grace that then we can convert that abusing of things into the proper using of them. And see, the pastorpreneurs of today's church, these hype-selling maniacs, they have that completely on its head. They are insisting, they they are insisting that you use. Take, 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 use, use, use. And they're ignoring the fact that in our fallen natural state, we are hell-bent on abusing. We don't use correctly, we abuse. 
God gives us something and we abuse it. Um, and you say, that's such a, this, just a dark look at mankind. Well, if you believe the Bible and you believe the creation story, God gave Adam and Eve perfection. He gave them heaven on earth, quite literally. And they pretty much instantly abused it. <laughs> and we could look at many, many, many other examples outside of the Bible, even of people who have abused Bernie Madoff, Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, Tiger Woods, Kobe Bryant. I mean, I haven't even thought of, I mean, I could we could compile a list that we could probably read for 24 hours straight and we wouldn't even get through the list of blessings that were given to different people and their default mode was instantly to abuse them. Um, so they're, they're sort of, they're, they're, they need to extend their timeline. You need to extend your timeline. You need to ponder this deep, overarching, broad, foundational theological truth that God's the maker, we're the thing made, and we should seek to humbly, contentedly, joyfully live in whatever role God's made us to be instead of mounting some massive insurrection where we flip double birds to the Lord and say, I will have my way. Um, and the third thing is that we need to ponder this, that we're, we're, our proclivity is to abuse and it's God denying us our destiny. It's God denying us the things that we desire, which chastises us. It chastens us. It sanctifies us to learn how to flip it around. So we then learn how to use correctly. Um, so ponder those things, and I'm sure we'll talk about them more um, during the next episode. But I just, after seeing Pastor Sammy and his huckstering, that question popped into my mind. Um, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to ask it, and we're going to ramble for a bit or two about that. Um, but just think about this as you go about your day. Desiring a right and spending a right. That's what God's after. He's after us desiring a right and spending a right. Desiring correctly, spending correctly. Desiring correct things, spending in the correct fashion. So hopefully that benefits you. I know it's been benefiting me. And uh, again, shame on these shame on these profit-seeking um, clowns that are that are selling a product of questionable value to to millions and millions of Christians via their. Uh, damnable Instagram accounts. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. Love all you guys, even though I never see you in person. Um, a couple of you I see in person, but, uh, most of you are just, um, you are just numbers on an analytics page, <laughs> but I will pray for those numbers on the analytics page that your growth in grace and humility, um, is vibrant and uh, that your your view of your timeline extends beyond a 60-second Instagram video and extends into eternity, where um, God has reserved infinite eternal bliss in the form of his presence. Adios, amigos. Have a good day.